Well, good morning, Grace. My name's Mike Silliman, lively bunch here this morning. All right, third service. You guys been up for a couple hours, got juiced up on some coffee, you're awake, you're ready to go. Uh, well, it's, uh, it's great to be with you this morning. I'm the uh, Karen Connections pastor here at Grace, and, and uh, I'm thankful just to be able to open up God's Word together, to be able to share uh, from God's Word. We're in this series, Finding Joy in an Unsettled World. And boy, is our world unsettled. Uh, as we uh, watched the news this week with all that uh, we saw happening in, in Louisiana and Minnesota and Texas, uh, our hearts are grieved. Our hearts are, are heavy. And uh, yet, as it's already been uh, mentioned, uh, we're not without hope. We have a great God uh, that wants to move in, wants to change lives, and wants to use us in the process of creating change in our world. Do you guys believe that? He wants to use you and I. And today, uh, we're going to dig into God's Word. Uh, thankfully, God's Word says a lot uh, about relationships. And, um, you know, the reality of it is relationships are messy. Amen? Relationships are messy. You know, I would get along fine in my relationships if everybody just agreed with me. It would just be so much easier, Right? Uh, but relationships are messy because we're different people. Uh, we come from different walks of life uh, with different sets of uh, experiences and struggles. And, uh, and here we are, uh, and uh, we get to dig into God's Word and see what God's Word says to us. Uh, you know, a survey was taken on social media asking people uh, for real-life examples of uh, when there was conflict that arose in their church. Okay, pretty dangerous survey, okay? And so I'm actually gonna share, these are real life things that happened in real life churches uh, all across America. Here's one. There was an argument over what type of green beans the church should serve. Green beans. Okay, now I could resolve this conflict None, okay? No green beans should ever be served, ever, okay? Here's another one, an argument on whether the church should allow deviled eggs at the church meal, okay? Now, I, I say only if it's balanced with some angel food cake for dessert, we should, should be fine, no problem. Okay, here's another one. Some church members left the church because one church member hid the vacuum cleaner from them. Can you imagine that? It resulted in a major fight and a church split over a vacuum cleaner. Yeah, thus the second Electrolux church was born. <laughs> and then here's another one, an argument over whether the fake dusty plants should be removed from the podium. Okay, and I, I just say, just give them a little bit of water, they should be fine. Uh, but, you know, we laugh, we, we, we chuckle because of how ridiculous these are. But the truth of the matter is, it's very sad. It's very, very sad. And I could only, only imagine uh, the, the heart of God that's, that's broken over conflict, over, over division that takes place in churches all across uh, the world. You know, Jesus said this in John chapter 13, verse 35, by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. 
if you love one another. In other words, God uses our loving, healthy relationships that you and I have together. God uses our relationships, our loving and healthy relationships to prove to the world that we belong to Jesus. Our relationships prove to the world that we belong to Jesus and it it proves to the world that Jesus is the answer. And so because of that, because our relationships tells a story to people, it communicates a story to people. And, And by the way, the world is watching us and because our lives and how we function together in relationship Together, because that tells a story about who Jesus is, it is really important. It's really imperative that we get relationships right. We have got to get this right. And thankfully, God's word is a book about relationships. His word's a book about relationships. So today we're going to continue our journey through the book of Philippians. And uh, we're going to see, we're going to see today that it all comes down to one thing, one word. And it's called humility. Everybody say humility. Humility. And, and I titled the message, humility is not optional. As a follower of Christ, humility is not an option. So we have to figure out how to do this thing. We have to figure out. And, and thankfully, God's word speaks to this. And I, this is a, a letter that uh, Paul wrote to a group of people in Philippi, a church that he started. This was the first church that uh, was started, that was launched, that was planted in Europe. And uh, we, we, we can actually learn a little bit about this church and the type of people, or at least a few people, that were part of this church. If later this week you can dig into Acts chapter 16, it actually tells the story of, of how this church got started. But it, it got started when Paul uh, was led by the Spirit. Paul and Silas, along with some traveling companions, uh, they found themselves in Philippi and um, they, uh, on Sabbath, got up and, and uh, as all good church planners should do, they were scoping out the community. They were, they were uh, probably seeing what the spiritual climate of the community was, and uh, they were actually looking for a house of prayer that might be in the community, that they might be able to join in with, that they may be able to, to uh, share the love of Jesus and this gospel message that has changed their life. And they didn't find a, a, uh, a, a meeting in a place, but they did find uh, a woman's prayer meeting. That's what they found. They, they came across a group of women that were praying, and there was one lady in particular uh, that, uh, that they met. Her name was Lydia. And scripture tells us that Lydia was a, a, a businesswoman. She was, uh, she was a foreigner. She, um, she, she came from Asia Minor, which is modern-day Turkey. And uh, she was living in this community. And um, scripture tells us that she loved purple linen. That's what she did. She sold purple linen. Not, not red linen, not green linen, not yellow linen, purple linen. That's it. That's what she did. And she was a businesswoman. And uh, scripture says that God opened her heart to the gospel and she accepted Christ and her household got saved and they got baptized. And Lydia, believe it or not, was the very first convert in Europe. The very first person in Europe that God uh, changed by, by the power of, uh, of Jesus. And, and so Lydia 
uh, is now a follower of Christ. Uh, the next person that scripture tells us uh, that Paul and Silas had an encounter with was a demon-possessed woman who was actually a slave and she was a fortune teller. That's what we know about, about this woman. And so uh, she actually made money for uh, her slave owner telling fortunes to people, okay? And so this, this pimp that owned her, she was the slave girl, sent her out into the community. She's, she's demon-possessed, and she's, she's fortune-telling uh, to make money for uh, this man that, that, that owns her. And uh, Paul uh, casts out a demon from her, and uh, this angered the, uh, the slave owner greatly because his income stream got dried up. And so he filed charges against Paul and Silas and had them thrown into prison. They're in prison. Paul and Silas are in prison. And uh, we, we learned from scripture that uh, at midnight, they decided, hey, why not have a prayer meeting? Why not pray? Why not sing? Why not worship? And, and this must have been some prayer meeting because at midnight, uh, as they were right in the middle of their prayer, they were right in the middle of their praising, uh, an earthquake happened. God brought an earthquake, sent an earthquake, and uh, the, the shackles were, were ripped and uh, were torn and, and the doors of the, of the jail flung open. It woke up the jailer who saw that potentially the prisoners were going to escape and thought, well, I'm going to die anyway, so I'm just going to take my own life before they kill me. And Paul says, wait, whoa, 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 stop. I'm here. We're here. We didn't go anywhere. Don't take your life. Don't take your life. And, and we learned that this jailer, that God opens his heart, this has a profound impact on him. He gives his heart and his life to Jesus Christ. Now, so if you're tracking with me, the, this, this launch team of this brand new church that, that Paul's starting, Okay, it's, it's made up of a foreigner who is a businesswoman who likes the color purple. Okay, it, it's a, a slave girl who uh, it was formerly demon-possessed uh, that is a fortune teller, and it's a suicidal jailer. That's who God used to start this church uh, that we're now reading their letter. And, and so if you've ever wondered, I don't know if God can use me. He can use you. He can, he can use you. It's absolutely incredible. But here's the, here's the thing that we have to understand. Paul's writing this letter to a group of people, some of who, who we know their story. And, uh, and it's a very diverse group of people from all different walks of life, all different races, all different socioeconomic uh, differences and, uh, and, and backgrounds, all uh, a bunch of different people from different walks of life that, 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 uh, that have a different set of struggles. And they have a different uh, baggage that, uh, that they're dealing with, that, that Christ is, is changing in them. And uh, I love that. That's the beauty of the church. That's the beauty of the church, that, that you know, in, the, in a room this size, you know, there are some of you that uh, are very, 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 very different from, from others of you. But yet we have this one thing, this one unifying thing that brings us all together, and it's Jesus. It's the work of Jesus. He, we have a story to tell. Jesus has, has saved you. He saved me. And uh, that's the, the beauty of the church. 
And so uh, I want you to turn in your Bibles this morning, Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you need a Bible, raise your hand up high. The ushers will put one in your hand. Uh, Philippians chapter 2. And uh, we're going um, to read the first four verses together, Philippians chapter 2. We're going to look at uh, verses 1 through 11 today, but we're going to read together just the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2. So when you find that in your Bibles, uh, go ahead and stand to your feet and uh, let's read this really rich passage of Scripture together. Philippians chapter 2, let's read this. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from his love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of the others. You may have a seat. So Paul uh, starts out here with this word, therefore, and um, uh, whenever there's a therefore, we have to look at what it's there for, okay? And so he's tying up a thought that he had previously shared in this, in this letter. And so uh, if you were here last week, we looked at the last couple of verses in chapter one, and we learned this. We learned that the Christian life is a struggle, that you're going to be opposed. You and I are going to be opposed. We're going to suffer. We're going to struggle. And that we need to stand firm and that we need to live a life that's worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so Paul is kind of wrapping up that thought and he's kind of shifting gears a little bit here. And he says, therefore, in light of that, in light of of, of the fact that we're going to struggle, we're going to suffer, then he's going to shift gears and he's going to say, look, All of us that know Jesus have a story to share. All of us that have been united in Christ, we've we've all been changed by, by the power of Jesus. We have a story to share. And Paul says, uh, basically, I want you to think back at what Christ has done for you. He's changed your life. You've been saved. Jesus has, has forgiven you. He's given you purpose. He's, he's given you his spirit to lead you, to comfort you, to empower you, to give you, you hope. And as they were reading this letter out loud, remember, we know a couple of people that would have been in the audience, that they, they would have heard this. And I, I wonder if that, that fortune teller, uh, formerly demon-possessed slave girl, what she would have thought as this letter is being read out loud, thinking, you know, wow, yeah, I remember what it was like to live in the bondage of my past. I remember what that was like to to be held in this bondage and then being free from that. I I remember what it was like. And, uh, and, and, And so all of us, we have a story to share. And we have a story because Christ has invaded our life. And, and, uh, and because of that, our minds have been renewed, our lives have been changed, and, it, and it's all because of Jesus. And it's really good for us as followers of Christ to, to go back and to think and to remember all that Christ has saved us from all that Christ has delivered us from. And, and if uh, many of you in here, you would share stories. If we could sit across the table from one another and enjoy a, a cup of coffee together, uh, some of you would tell me some, some stories, some amazing things, 
some, some sin that you were caught up in and, and uh, just some brokenness. And you would share how, how Christ has invaded your life and has, has saved you from, from this. And, uh, and you would get to share with me that now you're able to use, uh, you know, this pain that was in your life, that, that was wrecking your life, uh, that you're able to now use that, that God is redeeming that. And you're able to encourage people now with that very same thing uh, that you went through. And you're able to now encourage them and you're able to pour into them. Those are the types of stories that you and I have because of what Jesus has done. And Paul is trying to get their attention and he's trying to say, look, if if Jesus has changed your life, if you're now united in Christ, if you now have purpose, if you're now living in the spirit, then I I, I want you to be like-minded. I want you to have unity I want you to all remember what Christ has, has done for you. See, remembering the unity that comes through our position in Christ, it helps us to forget the things that seek to divide us. See, there are many things that seek to divide us. There, there, we, you know, as I mentioned, I mean, we are so different. Some of us in this room are just so different. But yet we have this one thing. This one thing, it's able to kind of pierce through all of those differences. It's able to pierce through all of the, the things that seek to divide us. And, and we can walk together, even though they we're very different. We can be united. And see, this is the beauty of the church. This is the beauty of the church. Imagine with me for a second if um, someone just moved into our community late last night. They just pulled in. They didn't even have a chance to unload their, their moving truck yet. They didn't have a chance to kind of go around town and kind of scope out the community because they've never been here before. They never had a picture of what our community is, uh, the different people groups in our community. Um, you know, they, they, they didn't get a chance yet to experience that, but they walked into Grace Community Church. Here, here's what, what, what the beauty of the church does. Here's what the beauty of the church is. It's, it's that we as a church uh, should look like a microcosm of our community that we find ourselves in. We should look like a mini Goshen community. We should look right here. We look around. We should look like our community. If we're a healthy, healthy and a thriving church, we should look like the, the community that we are in. And uh, the gospel reaches past all of the stuff that normally would divide us. Um, And, you know, here's the reality. You will not find a better model for racial reconciliation than the church. When, let me preface it by saying when the church is functioning properly. You won't find a better model for racial reconciliation than the church when it's functioning properly. And so Paul is, is just imploring the, this group of people that he loves, this different group of people coming from all different walks of life. He's saying, he's saying be like-minded. I want you to walk in unity. I want you to be humble. I want you to walk in humility. And then he says this in verse three. Look at verse three. It says, do, what's the word? Verse three, do, do 
nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. What is selfish ambition? Selfish ambition is, is a desire or a motivation to elevate my needs above your needs. That's what, that's what selfish ambition is. And vain conceit is, is having this elevated view of myself, seeing myself as, as having this elevated view above, above you. And so in other words, I, I see myself as the most important person in the room. And everything that I do seeks to meet my needs and my desires above your needs and above your desires. And churches, churches that, that experience disunity, churches that experience division, maybe you've been part of that in, in the past, uh, and it's a sad thing, but it can be traced back to a person or a group of people looking to their own needs, looking to their own desires, looking to their own ambitions. And that's how unbelievers function. That's how the world functions. But there's no place for that in the church. We're, we're, we're called, called to a, a higher standard because of Jesus and what he has done. And so Paul says this, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in, what's the word? Humility, we're, so, we're to value others, how? Above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. Treating each person that you come in contact with as a, as a VIP, treating them uh, as, a, as a very important person and, and serving them in humility, treating them uh, like they are more important than you. See, humility is honestly assessing ourselves in light of God's holiness and our sinfulness. So it, it's, it's me taking a look at my life and my sinfulness and holding my life up to the standard of God and the glory of God and the holiness of God. And then seeing that gap and then knowing what Christ did for me and then allowing that gap to bring me to a place of humility. That's, that's what humility does. See, pride, pride is assessing ourselves in light of, of others' shortcomings and our success. So we compare our success with someone else's shortcomings. That's called pride. That's how pride uh, begins to take root. Pride uses your worst and my best as the standard. And so rather than holding myself up to God and, and seeing myself as a sinner saved by, by the blood of Jesus and recognizing that it's only because of Jesus that, I, that I'm able to, to stand here and have life and joy and peace and purpose in my life, rather than doing that, I, I'm, I'm, I'm taking God out of the equation and I'm holding myself up and I'm comparing my successes with your shortcomings. And, and that produces criticism. That's what it does. It, it produces criticism. And it, it produces uh, this pride that says, I'm better than you. And uh, it, it, that my needs are more important than your needs. And so that's where selfish ambition begins to take root. And that's where vain conceit begins to, to rear its ugly head. See, humility is, 
intentionally thinking and behaving as though I am not the most important person in the room. That's what humility does. I'm not the most important person in the room. You are. And it's you saying, I'm not the most important person in the room. You, you are. And, and it's, it's you saying, you know, I'm not the most important person in the room. You, you are. And pointing to, to someone else as being the most important person in the room. See, humility goes out of our way to bless people. It does. Humility goes out of our way to bless people. Humility is always looking to encourage the person that has been sidelined and written off by the world. Humility is looking for that person. And uh, rather than looking at that person and thinking, you know, if they would, if they just get their life together, if they just get their act together, they wouldn't find themselves in the trouble that they're in. Instead, what it says is, wow, that's a hurting person. I want to minister to them. I want to reach out to them. I want to serve them. I want to I love them. Humilities uh, ask questions like, how can I help you right now? What, what can I do right now? And, and how can I help you right now? Humility asks questions like, hey, are you going to be home tomorrow at 5 o'clock? Because I'm going to bring a meal to you. You guys going to be home tomorrow at 5? I guess I'm, I'm now committed to bring you a meal <laughs> at, at 5. Uh, humility says, hey, would you like to use my van? Now, you could use my van. You can have the keys. But um, my van has 190,000 miles on it. So just so you know, um, I probably wouldn't go much beyond, you know, the Michiana area with my van. But you're welcome to use it. But that's what humility says. It looks out for, for the needs of others. Uh, it, it says, um, you know, as you're kind of gazing the crowd and, and watching people as they're coming in to, to the building on a Sunday morning, it, it kind of looks around and it says, you know what, there's a person that I haven't met yet and they look like they're, they're brand new and I, I want to I meet them. I, wanna, I want them to feel welcome. I want them to know that they're valued and, and uh, that, that we are so glad that that they're here. That's what humility does. Humility says, can I, hey, can I watch your kids tomorrow night? Can I watch your kids for you tomorrow night so you can have uh, some time alone? That's what humility does. And there's all kinds of people here uh, at, at Grace Community Church that, that uh, practices humility. Here's, here's a couple ways that, um, there are many ways, but here's a couple uh, ways that, that I've seen people uh, exercise humility and consider themselves, consider you better than themselves. Uh, see, some people, some people have made the decision to actually come to the first and the third service. So some of you are here for this very reason. And it's not because it fits better with your schedule. It's not because it's easier for you. But some of you have made the decision to come to this service for no other reason than to open up a seat for somebody in the second service. That's, that's humility. Why? Because, you know, you know that, well, the second service is the service that, that guests are more likely to come. And so you've made a decision to kind of readjust your priorities and readjust, you know, the alarm clock and, and you know, we're going to readjust how we do things to come. Some of you have made that decision for that very reason. Some of you are sitting in the link for that same reason because you're, you're wanting to open up a seat for somebody here in the main. And uh, I get that doesn't work for everybody. Uh, but, uh, but these are just some ways that some people have sacrificed. Some people literally park the furthest away in the parking lot and they walk 
not so that they, uh, their light goes off on their Fitbit, but they, they do it because they're, they're saving some spots up, up front, up close for people that, that need Jesus. They're saving a spot for you that you can pull in and you can park. Uh, some people stay after this service, third service. They stay here and they stack chairs and they stack and they stay until every last chair is stacked. Why? Because it's just their way of saying, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to serve and uh, it, I'm going to exercise humility in this way and this is the way I'm going to do it. And we appreciate you, by the way. We need more of you uh, that do that after the service. So stick around after third service. Uh, there's people that, that, um, that sacrifice and exercise humility uh, by using their own personal vacation and then funding their way and paying their own way to take your kids and my kids and your teens and my teens to Philly and Kentucky and Momentum, traveling in a loud, smelly van for five or 10 hours. Why? Because they value the impact that they're able to make in the life of a kid and a teen. How are you sacrificing? How, how are you sacrificing? You know, there's all kinds of different ways, but all of us should, should have that attitude, that attitude to say, you know what, I want to I wanna humbly serve people. I want to humbly serve people. See, humility is recognizing that the church isn't primarily about what I can get from it. It's about what I can give to it. That's humility. It's, it's recognizing that it's not all about just feed me, feed me, feed me. And I need another program to, to meet my needs. That's not what church is all about. That's not what it should be about. That's a great benefit of church, and I'm thankful for the programs, and I'm thankful for the ministries that we have. But the primary, uh, you know, goal is that we are part of a church that we can give something to before we're part of a church that I can get something from. And so what if, what if the first thing that we did when we're looking for a church, you're not looking for a church because you're already here, so you're staying here, you're stuck here. But if you were looking for a church, what, wouldn't it be amazing if rather than looking first at all the programming that the church offered for me, that we looked, wow, there's a place that I can serve. There's a place that I can plug into. There's a place that I can, I can, I can place somebody else's needs above my needs. And that was the very first thing. That was the very first thing we were looking for when we were looking for a church. Just think of what would happen. Just think of the kind of church that we would be if that was our attitude. That's what we're called to do. That's what we're called to do. And so Paul, he's now going to shift gears a little bit. And he's going to give us a really concrete example of what humility looks like. Let's look at verse 5. Verse 5, Paul says this. In your, what's the word? Relationships with one another have the same mindset as who? As Christ Jesus. So the assumption here that Paul is making is that we can actually have the mindset of Christ. And, uh, you know, we know from 1 Corinthians 2, it talks about this, that, that those are, who are in Christ, we have the mind of Christ through the Holy Spirit of God. So in order to have the mindset of Christ, we have to allow the Spirit of Jesus to invade our lives, to inform us, to empower us, to embolden us. See, we can't do this without the Spirit of God moving and working 
in us. But Paul says, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Look at verse 6. Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself, what's the word? He made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Wow. So, so God, you know, he didn't, he didn't look at his rights that he has as, as, as being God. And so if, if this represents the, the rights that, that, that God had, he, 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 didn't, he didn't count this uh, as something to be, to be held on to. Instead, what did he do? He, he emptied himself. He emptied himself. And by the way, he didn't just give us a little bit. He didn't just empty himself a little bit because guess what? This doesn't save you. This amount doesn't save you. He had to empty himself completely, completely emptying himself. That's what Jesus did. Now, that didn't mean that he ceased to be God. He didn't give up uh, being God. No, he was, he was fully God. But what it means is that he actually took on the limitations of being a human. That's what he did. And see, uh, and so um, the gap it's hard to get our minds wrapped around just what Jesus did here, the gap between us and, and God and what, and what God did here through, through Jesus is just absolutely mind-blowing. And it's, it's further, the gap exists. It's, it's further than you could ever uh, imagine. And uh, it would be like, I don't even know. It's, this is probably a silly illustration. But it would be like, you know, you saying, okay, I'm going to empty myself of, of being the rights of a human and I'm going to become a, a mosquito. You know? I mean, it's just silly. It's ridiculous. But to think that God, creator God, he doesn't need any, anything uh, outside of himself. He emptied himself. He emptied his rights uh, and, and he divested himself of, of certain rights as God the Son, and he became human. Just think, you know, uh, God doesn't need to sleep. We as humans, we need to sleep. Some of you are sleeping right now, and that's okay. Just have at it. Take a nap. Uh, I always say sometimes the most spiritual thing you can do is take a nap. So uh, don't feel bad about that. But, but the reality of it is, is, you know, humans need to take a nap. So Jesus took on the limitations of being a human. Jesus got tired. God never gets tired. Uh, you know, uh, we get hungry as humans. We have to eat. I'm kind of thankful for that because I like to eat. Do you guys like to eat? Uh, but God doesn't need to eat. But yet Jesus felt hunger. He he. He came under our limitations as a human. And not once, this is what's amazing about God, not, not once did Jesus ever use his divine attributes to relieve the limitations of being human. Not one time did Jesus ever tap into his divinity to be able to relieve himself of the limitations of being a human. That's what Jesus did. That's, that's the humility that Jesus took on. He emptied himself. And that's the picture. This is the picture of what, what Paul is saying. I want you to be like Jesus in your relationships. What did Jesus do? He emptied himself. And he says, church, I want you to empty yourself. 
not just take a little bit of what's left over after you're done meeting your needs, but I want you to empty yourself on behalf of other people. I want you to serve people. That's the extent that I want you to go to in loving and serving people and exercising humility. See, be, be willing to exchange my convenience. I need to be willing to exchange my convenience, my comfort, my expectations for inconvenience, for the uncomfortable and the unexpected. And so this means, you know, inconvenient serving. Uh, if we were able to peel back some of our hearts, and honestly, my heart at sometimes too, I'm speaking to me as well, what we would see is we would see some hours of operation, uh, you know, that, that, that stores kind of put up in, on their door and in their, on their window, and, and we would see some hours of operation where you're willing to serve people, where you're willing to love people. And, and for some of you, it might say, you know, I'm only willing to love and serve people on the second Sunday of every month between the hours of 9 and 10. And what, what we're called to is to kind of flip that sign around and get a marker and scratch out those hours and say, open 24-7, seven days a week. And see, we need to be willing to exchange my convenience and my comfort, my expectations for inconvenience. And, and it means inconvenient serving sometimes. Serving by nature isn't convenient because it's serving And that's what we're called to. It means to having uh, uncomfortable conversations and placing ourselves in uncomfortable situations because we love people. It it, it means, you know, when you have a beef with somebody in, in the church, rather than walking the other way or picking another service to go to so you don't have to see them, it means saying, you know what, we need to get together. We need to love each other. We're commanded to love each other. Let's work this out. Let's, let's become united together in, 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 in loving one another because of Jesus for the sake of Christ. It means expecting the unexpected uh, with, you know, being willing to change our plans, uh, inviting Jesus to overwrite your calendar and, and your to-do list. That's what it looks like. That's what humility looks like. Look at verse 8. And so Paul says, and, and Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. One of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21. It says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of Christ. See, Jesus humbled himself. He couldn't go any lower than he went. He couldn't empty himself any more than he did. And he did that, and in so doing, he gave us his righteousness, the righteousness of God. It's absolutely amazing what Jesus has done for us. And see, Christ-like humility, what we're called to, Christ-like humility, it's all about dying to ourself. It's all about dying to ourself. Luke 9, 23, it says, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. It's about denying our desires, denying our wants, denying our flesh, what our flesh cries out for. It's denying that and say, you know what, I'm gonna, I'm gonna follow Christ because he's worth it. 
Being a Christian automatically comes with a cross. I love what the message uh, translation says in Luke chapter 14, verse 27. It says, anyone who won't shoulder his own cross and follow behind me can't be my disciple. Christ-like humility, it's about dying to ourself. Christ-like humility, it's not about giving my extra. It's about giving my everything. It's not evaluating your life and then giving what's left over, if there is anything left over. And some weeks, there's none left over, and so you don't get anything next week. That's not what, what, the, what the Christian life is about. It's about giving everything. It's about giving everything over. That's what Jesus did. He gave, he gave everything, and he didn't hold anything back. And this church that Paul is writing to, you know, it's an incredible church, and, and I, I believe that it was incredibly united together. Um, and we're going to learn in a couple of weeks that there was a little bit of friction that was happening with a few people in the church that, that, that Paul addresses. But I have got to believe that, that for the most part, they, they did a great job of being like-minded. You know how I know? Uh, they, they were the only church that was held up as a model of generosity for other churches to follow. This church, Scripture, uh, it, it talks about in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 how this church gave even beyond what they were able to, to give. That's what, that's what uh, was, was said about, about this church. And you don't do that if you're not united. So I believe that this church did a great job of, of that. And, uh, and that's, that's, our, that's a picture for us. That's a picture for you. It's a picture for me. It's a picture for us at Grace Community. Look, look at verse nine. It, it says, Paul says this. He says, therefore, God exalted Jesus to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, Every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Wow. You know, Scripture says that it was the joy set before him, that he, for the joy set before him, that he endured the cross, scorning its shame. Do you know who the, the joy that was set before him was. You know who that, you know who that, that is? That's, that's you, that's me. He, he looked ahead, Jesus looked ahead and he was, he was willing to humble himself. He was willing to be obedient to death, even death on a cross because he looked out over humanity and he saw people. He saw you, he saw me. He saw us reconciled to God. He saw us in right relationship with him. He emptied himself uh, and in so doing, he gave us, gave us life. And he, he, I, I, love, I love the fact that, uh, that this, this teaches us that we can give and we can sacrifice now. And there's going to be one day where we're going to be rewarded. There's going to be one day that we're going to be rewarded. Uh, that, that every car that we park, uh, that every sacrifice that we make, that every conversation, every bedside that we, we sat beside as somebody was in the hospital, every meal that we made uh, out of humility, that the serving that we, we've done, every, every kid that we took to the bathroom, the potty for the third time because they couldn't hold it, right, on Sunday. I mean, all of these things that, 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 that we do, they're going to be rewarded. 
that there's going to come a day that we're going to stand before for Jesus and we're going to hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter now into, into my joy. We have, to, uh, we have to be willing to sacrifice and invest in this life in order to receive a hundredfold reward in heaven. Uh, Matthew chapter 19, verse 29, it says this. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake. Okay, that's, that's sacrifice. That's, that's humility. Anybody that does these things for my sake will receive a hundred times as much and will inherit eternal life. But many who are first will be last and many who are last will be first. You know what a hundredfold reward is? That's a 10,000% return on your investment. That's, a, that's an amazing investment. Just think of the investment that that, that is. And I'm, I'm willing to give my life to that. Are you? Now I'm, I'm willing to give to that type of, of investment. That's what Jesus calls us to. Lord, to be like you. Jesus, to be, to be like you. That's... that's our desire. We can't do this on our own. God, but we know that uh, we can do this through, through you, Jesus, through your spirit that leads us and guides us and informs us and empowers us. Lord, help us to evaluate our own lives in light of this passage about valuing others above ourselves. It's so hard. It's so difficult. Because God, I, I want my needs to be met. But God, that's what you call us to. You call us to that type of humble service. And so God, would you help us be the church that you've called us to be? That when people around us in, in the world that are hurting, that are desperate, that are struggling, they would see what we have They would see how we love one another. They would take a picture of Grace Community Church. They would see that picture and they would say something's different there. And it's because of Jesus. God, we want to be that kind of church. God, thanks for being obedient. Obedient to death. Even death on a cross. It's for our benefit that you did that, God. And we give you praise and we give you glory for who you are and what you've done. Lead us and direct us, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.